It's our prayer to be able to be here this morning and to worship you, to adore you. You alone are the one who deserves such attention, such honor, such respect, such reverence and awe. Because of what you have done for us, surely, but more than anything else, simply because of who you are, your holiness, your justice, your grace and mercy and love, your power and your presence. We are so grateful for your presence here in this place this morning, and we ask that you would just by your Holy Spirit guide us as we open the scripture together so that we might hear not my voice, but your voice, that we might know the truth of your word and that it might sink deeply into our hearts this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, folks. You can have a seat. It is good to be back here with you guys today. Uh, After Melody and I having been away on our vacation, I would love to tell you about the glorious weather and just how little we did, but I don't want anybody to throw tomatoes, so if you want to hear about that, you can come up and talk to me after, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it. And I love what you've done with the place. Uh, these, these posts really add to the ambiance. <laughs> and I'll see some of you as I wander back and forth, I guess, but not all at the same time. Uh, we are so thankful Uh, for what God is doing here among us, thankful for what's happening in the building. If you've got an update or not, some of you probably have from talking to people, but they have started painting and uh, hopefully have the lion's share of that done over the next week or so, and then ceiling and outlets and sound equipment and doors and So Catherine asked me when I got home when I thought would be in, and I said, three to four months. And I thought she was going to reach through the window and throttle me. Uh, We don't know, but Lord willing, it will be soon. So, Uh, you know, I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you this morning, and I was thinking about the fact that it's probably human nature, I guess, to make excuses for ourselves when we come up against something that's really tough to do, something that we we either don't want to do or we don't know if we can, things like getting to work on time. Bosses have heard all of the excuses. They know all of the tricks. The traffic was really bad or I overslept or the roads were slippery because of the snow and ice. Maybe some other excuses that aren't so common, like, well, I got to work on time, but I fell asleep in the parking lot for a half an hour, or uh, my fake eyelashes got stuck together and I couldn't see well enough to drive, or my horoscope predicted an accident, so I decided I better take all the back roads just to be safe. Of course, we also love excuses in our spiritual lives. People always have all kinds of reasons why they don't follow the Lord or grow in their faith or come to church. 
Many of those excuses really don't hold up, though, especially if we were, we were to take those same excuses and apply them to other areas of our lives. Let me give you an example. Like, what if we said, what if I said I was going to give you a list of reasons why I don't wash? And I told you things like, I don't wash because I was forced to wash as a child. Or people who make soap are only after my money. Or people who wash are hypocrites and always think that they're cleaner than everybody else. Or I don't wash because I don't have time. Or I only wash on Christmas and Easter. I used to wash, but it got boring. I'd love to wash, but the bathroom was always too cold in the winter or too warm in the summer. And besides, none of my friends wash. <laughs> Maybe I'll start washing when I'm older. They just don't hold up, do they? Well, in the book of Hebrews, over the last 10 months, the writer has been teaching us about this wonderful new covenant of salvation. He's been teaching us about our wonderful new Savior, Jesus Christ, our, our great high priest, the perfect sacrifice, and he has invited us to draw near to the Savior. He's taught us what Christ has done and what Christ will do in the future. And not only has he taught us, but he has also warned us, hasn't he? Seven warnings in the book of Hebrews. There are consequences if we do not draw near to him, if we do not trust him and accept his sacrifice. But still we make excuses. And so the writer teaches us about shepherds. The last few weeks while I've been gone, Tim has spent a couple of those talking about shepherds. Pastors that God has called to care for us, to care for the church, but we still struggle. And so he's going to end his letter, and today we're going to end the letter of Hebrews together by refocusing us back to Jesus. And he's going to really summarize the whole book in just a couple of sentences. And he's going to end with this challenge. My friend, you need to be looking to Jesus. That's been our theme of this whole study, looking to Jesus. Let there be no more excuses. Why is that? He's going to answer that question in this section. Because Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. We have shepherds. I'm here. Tim's here. We have elders. We care for each other. But Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. Let's work through this final paragraph. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews 13. We're going to look at verse 20 and 21 to begin with. Let me read it for you. Writer says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Now, I don't know if anybody noticed or not, but that was one long sentence. Lisa, it was a run-on sentence, wasn't it? Not grammatically correct, but very powerful in this situation. This sentence is going to tell us 10 things. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, it tells us who God is. The writer says, the God of peace. God desires peace with us. Why does he desire peace? Because our sin has separated us from him. Our sin has caused conflict. Of course, if you turn on the news or the radio or open your news app on your computer or your phone, what are we talking about now? War, right? War in Ukraine and war in the Middle East. Why is there war? There have been very, very few decades of the history of civilization where there hasn't been war somewhere, if any. Why? Because of our sin. And there's no peace. So he begins by saying, the God of peace. That's the first thing. Now, number two, look, it says what God did. It says he brought Jesus back from the dead. Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice for us because he's alive. He's not dead. He lives now. Jesus Christ didn't just do something for us in the past. He is doing something for us now, isn't he? Do you remember? I know it was several months ago, but do you remember when Pastor Tim was talking to us about Hebrews chapter 4? verses 14 through 16, and he talked about Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and we are invited, those are the verses you remember that says, let us come with confidence to the throne of grace so that we can find help in our time of need. Jesus Christ is alive. He's no dead sacrifice. That's what God did. Number three, we see who Jesus is. And here is where he says, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, the word shepherd, Tim probably talked about it when he was looking at those passages, but the word shepherd here means literally feeder and protector and leader. Jesus Christ cares for the totality of the well-being of his flock. And when Tim was walking you through those passages in the last couple of weeks, I know that he taught you that God gives the church shepherds and that we are responsible to care for you and we're responsible to, to watch over you and protect you. But I want you to see here that Jesus is the great shepherd, the great shepherd. Now, we've looked at this verse before, or this uh, word before, the word great. Does anybody remember what the word great is in Greek? <laughs> I'm hilarious, aren't I? I know. I can't help myself. No one remembers. It's the word mega. Literally, M-E-G-A, mega. Jesus Christ is our mega shepherd. Think me and Tim only a million times better. The word mega, the word great, means the largest, the greatest, the strongest, the most in every way. 
Now, Tim and I, as your pastors, as shepherds, and Clow and Tim and Steve, as your elders, we seek to exemplify godliness to all of you in our lives. That is our calling. We are called to be kind and gentle and honest and loving and gracious and admonishing-ish. <laughs> I don't know what that word is, whatever the adjective is. That's what we're called to do. But who better to do all of those things than Jesus? He does them perfectly. His holiness, His grace, His purity, His sympathy, His sacrifice, His faithfulness. I am not so naive to think that at some point, for some of you that have been around here for 5 or 10 or 15 or even 20 years, have not thought about me and watched me do something and thought, man, that guy's an idiot. Or, man, he wasn't very kind to me when we were talking that the other day, or, or he's not very forgiving, or he wasn't as merciful or gracious as he should have been. I'm sure people have thought that. I'm not perfect. Jesus Christ does all of those things perfectly. Do you want to know how to pray? Well, you can listen to Tim and I pray. You know what you could also do? Read John 17 and listen to Jesus pray. You want to learn how to fight temptation? Well, you can listen to us teach. Or you can read Matthew chapter 4 and see how Jesus fought temptation perfectly. You want to learn how to deal with suffering? Read Mark chapter 14 and see how Jesus handled it. You want to learn how to show compassion? Read about Jesus in Luke chapter 7. He is our great shepherd. Well, that's who God is and what God did and who Jesus is. Let's continue with number four, how God did it. How did he raise Jesus from the dead? How did he make us, make him our great shepherd? It says there, by the blood of the eternal covenant. He saved us by the blood of Jesus, his eternal blood. A few weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews chapter 10, and we read there that the writer told us that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Thousands, my friends, tens of thousands, probably millions of blood sacrifices were offered over the centuries, over the millennia. But they did not pay for sin. They commemorated sin. They, they confessed the sin. They acknowledged the sin. But it didn't provide the ultimate payment. Only the eternal blood of Jesus Christ did what all of those sacrifices could not do. Number five, why God did it. It says here in this verse, keep looking at the verse please, to equip you with everything good. 
The word equip there means to properly fit or to adjust or to prepare. Why did God do all of this? Why do we have to have the book of Hebrews? Why do we have to learn all of these things? Why do we have to talk about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and, and what we are to do in light of it? Is it all for God's glory? Well, yes, of course, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But it's even more than that. Because did you know this, my friends? Did you know that God will be glorified whether you glorify him or not? Did you know that? Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that one day, anybody know the verse? How many knees? Every knee will bow. And how many tongues? Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the what? To the glory of God the Father. God will be glorified. <laughs> I know when you're looking around at this world, it doesn't seem like it, and you're thinking, I don't know. I mean, I believe in God. I know he's powerful, but it doesn't seem to be going too well right now. No, God will be glorified. Have no fear. There is more to this than just glorifying God, but of course, that is extremely important. It's the most important thing. But more than that, God saved us that we might serve him, that we might live holy lives, that we might change and grow and be different and live for him and reach others. What happens here on Sunday mornings is incredibly important. I am not trying to butter you up or make you feel good about anything by telling you that I desperately missed being here with you on Sunday while we were gone. I love it. And it is so important, so important for our encouragement and so important for us to glorify God together in this place and hopefully soon in that place. But all of this is more than that. There's a whole life that happens out there, isn't there? And God saved us, and he changes us so that we can serve him out there. Would it surprise you in that phrase that he equips us with everything good? Would it surprise you to know that the word everything means everything? That it literally means that every little piece, every part, every aspect of living the way that God wants you to live, he provides. That should wipe out our excuses. Everything. Good. Number six. The sentence also shows us what we must do his will. Now, you could be here thinking this morning, my life is falling apart. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I would ask you this question. Are you doing his will? Or are you following your plan? 
You might follow that up by saying, I don't know what his will is. That's the problem. If I knew what it was, I would do it. I don't know his will. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You know 95% of it. If you are reading God's word regularly, if you are spending time every day asking him to be at work in your life and to lead you and to guide you, and if you are doing things like this and being taught, if you are connected with other people in your life through a small group or otherwise that can speak into your life about the truth, you know 95% of God's will of what he asks of you. Yeah, I know. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm 53. I've lived plenty of life. I know that there are details that are blurry, some answers that we don't have. But he will reveal that to you as you need it. Sorry, not when you want it, but as you need it. If you follow him, if you are obedient to the things that you know to do. Number seven, the sentence tells us what this looks like. It says, that which is pleasing, doing his will, that which is pleasing. Pleasing means fully acceptable. Does anybody remember, I mean, I know you're all old enough. I'm just asking if you remember, because when you get older, sometimes it gets fuzzy. Do you remember the craze a few years ago with the little silicone bracelets, WWJD? Remember that? What would Jesus do? And we could say, well... What would you do or say or watch or think if Jesus was with you? That's really the point of that, right? WWJD, well, man, before I do this or go there or watch that, or I, well, what would Jesus do? Well, if he was here with you, he is. He is. He is with you. It wasn't three weeks ago, Hebrews chapter 13, same one we're in right now, right? Verse 5, what did Jesus say? I will never leave you or forsake you. He's with you. Your life should please God. Does it? That's why God saved you. Look at the eighth thing, how God works in us. How does he do it? It says, through Jesus Christ. God doesn't just ask these things of us. He enables it. I know, I'm, I understand. You could be sitting there thinking, well, Mike, it's good for you to be standing up there saying, I have to do God's will, and I know God's will, and I have to please Him, and all those things. It's all well and good, but I can't do it. Listen. God is not a bully he doesn't ask things of you that you cannot do with his help. He's not the tall guy who takes the short guy's hat and then holds it up like this and laughs while he jumps and tries to get it back. 
Come on, please me, I dare you, try, do your best, ha <laughs> ha, you will never do it. That's not who God is. Why do we have this idea in our minds that God sets this impossible standard? He doesn't set an impossible standard for us. He sets a standard and says, here, let me enable you to do it. Let me help you to do it. I want you to do it. I want you to be successful in honoring me and living a holy life. And so he gives us his constant presence through Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ can come back to life after lying dead in the grave for three days and roll that stone away and get out and live, what do you think the chances are he can help you with your day? I'm not minimizing what you're going through. I don't know what you're going through. I'm not saying it's not a lot. I'm just saying Christ is great enough to help you through it. That's the whole point of this entire book. If you don't get that from this book, my friends, I'm not sure what to do. Because that's the message. Number nine, why we do it? Well, here it is, for God's glory. He is the only one who is worthy. He's the only one who deserves praise and credit and worship. And if we do all of these things, it will glorify him. If we live in light of what we've been taught here, it will glorify him. Now, here's number 10. How long must we do it? Forever. Oh, my land. We are such quitters. We are such lousy, self-pitying little quitters, aren't we? Just before we left, I was driving through for a vacation. I was driving through town there at the end of October. They were still working on the construction, you know, right down 26 through town. Came around the corner. I see the line of cars. I pull up next to it. <clears throat> for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm not well-known for my patients. I pull up behind the line, and I just, oh, my goodness, come on. I got stuff to do. I had a list of errands I had to run. We're getting things ready to go, and I had things I had to do, and I'm like, oh, my word. And I was muttering and sputtering to myself and irritated and all those things. And, I, and so I said, because this, this always helps, I looked at the clock on the dash, and I'm like, I'm going to time how long I have to sit here in this traffic. I know this is shocking. You think I'm so kind and mild-mannered, and I'm just opening the door a crack. Not all the way, because you'd be horrified. <laughs> but just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to time this, how long these turkeys are going to keep me. How come that line is still going? How come we haven't gone yet? What, are they going to let 1,000 cars through before they let four through? For, I mean, I'm, do, I'm doing the whole thing. Then somebody somewhere in their infinite wisdom hears something on the walkie-talkie and flips a sign and the line starts moving. And I looked at my dad. I, I know you think I'm exaggerating this to try to be funny, but I am not. I looked at the clock. It had been four minutes. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was four minutes.
Once again, my friends, I'm not minimizing whatever it is that you're going through here today in your life, in your family, in your relationships, your finances, your health, whatever it is. I'm not at all. Life can be incredibly difficult. But what I am saying is this. Because Jesus Christ is our great shepherd, we must keep going. We must keep going. I think that's a pretty good summary of Hebrews, don't you? One sentence. Now, unfortunately for you, that was only two verses and we have four more, but these will be faster. Verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. This is incredibly interesting to me. He says, I appeal to you. The word appeal is the word parakaleo, and I know that probably doesn't ring too many bells in your head, but I will tell you that this is the same word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit in John 14 and 15. I will send you, remember those verses? I will send to you another comforter. That's the word parakaleo. And that's the word that, that the writer uses here. It means to come alongside, to comfort, to encourage, to admonish as needed. You know how sometimes we say, well, I'm not the Holy Spirit. You know how we do that? No, nobody else has done that. Well, it's a thing, okay? Sometimes we say, well, I'm not, you know, when we're trying to help somebody, we see that, you know, their life is going like, and we're like, well, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but. And that's true. You are not the Holy Spirit, and I am not the Holy Spirit. But you know what? We are called to do some Holy Spirit things. And that's what the writer says here. Uh, I, I, that's why I wrote this book. I'm parakaleoing. I'm admonishing you. I'm encouraging you. I'm challenging you. Why Tim and I have spent 40 weeks, yes, count them, 40 weeks teaching you from these pages. We're not trying to bash you over the head with it. Unless you need it, we are available to bash. That is an option. Come see me afterwards. But that's not what we're trying to do. Honestly, we're trying to do what he is talking about. We're trying to come alongside you and encourage you, and challenge you, and, yes, warn you, because we love you, and we care about you. We care about what's happening in your life. I've, uh, Tim could say the same thing. I've spoken in a lot of different places. You know, sometimes I go somewhere and speak, fill in somewhere, or speak at another church, or at another meeting, or a conference, or something like that. I've done that many, many times. And it's great, it's fun, it's profitable, but it's not the same as being here talking to you. You know why? Because I know you, I know you, and I care about you because I know you. The writer says, I'm appealing to you, and I want you to bear with it. (laughs) Bear with it, literally endure it, be patient with it. Because I've written to you briefly. How many people feel like the study through Hebrews has been brief? doesn't feel like it. Ten months. 
But really, the book of Hebrews is less than 10,000 words. If you wanted to get after it, you could read it in less than an hour. It certainly could have been a lot longer, given that the subject matter is Jesus Christ, his person and his work. And believe me, just about every Sunday, I could talk longer too. Why? What's the writer saying? Because God has given us so much. And it's everything. It's everything and meaning and purpose for our lives, or or it should be. It's brief. Why don't we want more? Well, many times we don't want more because our lives are so full of other stuff. Verse 23, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. You may have read some of these books in the Bible, especially the New Testament, and thought, why does he spend all that time at the beginning, at the end, greeting people and naming people, and and, uh, why is that recorded for us? What does it matter? I think it simply reminds us of the humanity and the reality of the people in the Bible. These are not just cold, hard facts. These aren't just do's and don'ts and commands. These were real people living real lives, serving God together just like we are. If you don't remember anything else that we talked about today, maybe I should say if you don't remember anything else that we talked about over these 10 months, remember this. Jesus Christ is your great shepherd. He's your mega shepherd. And you should be looking to him You've been taught, you've been warned, so how will you live? What are you going to do? Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, what kind of person ought you to be? We've talked a lot about grace, we've talked a lot about mercy, we've talked a lot about forgiveness. And we've seen in the book of Hebrews that there are a ton of therefores. (laughs) Okay, God has given you grace and mercy and forgiveness. Therefore, what? What are you going to do? How are you going to act? You see, Jesus is not merely a cheerleader. He's not simply a coach. He enters your mind and your spirit so that he might empower you to act to do. He equips you, he enables you, he strengthens you, and he guides you. That means that you don't have to live in bitterness and anger anymore because God can equip you with the power to see what he has given you and free you from constantly berating those who are close to you. This means that you don't have to live in unforgiveness anymore because God will equip you with grace and mercy and strength to obey him and to forgive those who have wronged you. This means that you don't have to live in bondage to addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever it is 
because God can equip you to resist the temptation to pick up a pill or a bottle or turn on the computer. He can give you the desire for good things, for healthy things that will enable you to please him. I can't do that. Tim can't do that. Only Jesus can. He's our Savior, and He's our Sanctifier, and that's why we are looking to Jesus. My friends, you must have an all-consuming love for Jesus. How are you going to live? We're going to celebrate Christ's sacrifice for us this morning with communion. In communion, we are simply commemorating what he has done, commemorating that sacrifice on the cross, the blood that was shed for us. In a moment, the ushers will pass out the bread. It's just bread. But in this context, it is a symbol of Christ's body that was nailed to the cross for you and me so that we might experience this power, that we might change the way that we live. And then they'll pass out the cup. It's just juice. But in this context, it's a symbol of his blood that was shed for us, the eternal blood of Jesus Christ that secures our covenant. When they come, I'll invite you to take the bread and the cup, pass the tray is right across the gap there in the middle. The band is going to lead us in a contemplative song of worship as you thank God for what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. And when you're ready, you can go ahead and eat the bread and drink the cup, and then we'll sing together. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful goodness to us for your patience with us. And we ask this morning, as we give thanks for Christ's sacrifice, that our hearts would be renewed, that we would be challenged to act, to live, because of our wonderful, great shepherd. Thank you, Father. We pray that you will be honored in these moments. In Christ's name, amen. Our great shepherd. Did you notice how he ended the book? He ended with grace. Every time I talk with Melody about what I'm going to speak on on Sunday, she says, end with grace. Grace. So I'm going to end with grace. Wonderful, matchless grace of Jesus Christ is enough to live for him, to please him, to glorify him. Grace be with all of you. Father, we bathe in your grace because we need it so desperately every day. This day is no different. We need it today. We need our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, to walk with us, to empower us, 
to hold us. And I pray this morning for every person that is here that they would know the grace of the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. Thank you for these moments to set all else aside, to lift our voices, to pour out our hearts, and to glorify you. May that continue through this week in all that we do. For his sake, amen. Thank you, folks. Have a great week.